the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. I'm Rob Black. Find me online at robblackshow.com. I just posted market commentary with portfolio strategist at EP Wealth, Adam Phillips at YouTube, Rob Black Show. It's 15 minutes long. It really isn't very, uh, how shall we say, radio friendly because it's a lot of question monologue, question monologue, question monologue. But you can check it out at YouTube, Rob Black Show. Subscribe to the station. I would appreciate it. That would actually help me out. Um, recently, the markets have been enjoying what is considered a tailwind for the tech stocks. Today, the tech stocks are maybe facing a little bit more of a headwind. It is still very early in trading. But let's talk about what we're seeing out there. United Airlines said it's going to be adding seven, not 70, 270 new planes to its fleet starting in 2022 with 200 coming from Boeing. Talked about hiring over 20,000 new employees the next year. Confidence about a pickup in business travel. Yesterday, some banks announced sizable dividends. In a way of trying to be infotaining to you. Some guys like blondes, some guys like brunettes. Some guys like big heinies, big tushies. Some people like a more fit body. I myself like big stock buybacks. And big dividend increases. That's what I'm attracted to in the world of stocks. Now, again, you can be attracted to revenue. You can be attracted to new technology. You can be attracted to environmental concerns, governmental concerns. Uh, Companies' governance. Social issues. How many women are on the board? How many women executives are there? Some of the things I'm attracted to are dividends and buybacks. Not primary. I want a good company, first and foremost. But if a company is able to do stock buybacks... And do dividends. I'm not unattracted to that. So J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, all showed financial strength yesterday by announcing sizable increases in their dividends. General Electric, the company known as the General. Goldman Sachs has called it the top large cap idea and put a $16 price target on it. That brings up a heck of a question. A company that destroyed so much value, going from a top 10 company in the world, probably to a top 200. Do you feel like you you want to trust them? It's a $13 stock. If it goes to 16, that's a pretty sizable move. That's a good return on investment. But are you ready for that? Because some people are, some people aren't. I myself... Uh, don't like the the snake in the jungle book. Trust me. Elsewhere in the world of financial headlines, 
Bank of America added FedEx to its U.S. number one list, saying it sees significant tailwinds for FedEx led by pricing gains, margin improvement, continued e-commerce growth, and the return of business-to-business volumes. In headline print, I completely agree with that one. COVID has me shipping more things. I've seen that I'm paying more when I ship. I see that FedEx continues to be a tech company is the way tech, uh, the way FedEx, UPS, and Amazon manage delivery. It's very techy. I see e-commerce is here to stay and grow. Even though I've seen a lot of retail stores say, you know, we've doubled down. In the last year of pandemic, we kind of figured out how to deliver to the doorstep. We kind of delivered how to out, how to use our stores as tell FedEx to come pick it up here instead of picking up at the home office back in Texas. CSX Corp, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite stocks to talk about. Was upgraded to buy. Over at Citigroup, Citigroup basically said that the rails, the train companies should have multiple tailwinds in 2022, noting that the recent pullback presents solid value. When you see the Suez Canal get clogged up like Rob eating a loaf of bread with no water. When you see that clog, you see the supply chain problems that exist in America and the world. And you see a company like a CSX who does rail and who does it well, the value that they present. Choo-choo! Another thing I like about rail companies, you hire one engineer and you put 200 train cars behind them. Whereas a trucker, they're having problems delivering gasoline to gas stations this year because a lot of truckers quit during the last year. So the trucks that deliver gasoline so that other trucks and other cars and other uh, vehicles can operate on the road we're having a shortage of gasoline. Boy, oh boy, does that make me love trains even more. Um, I think you can own a train company, and I think you learned all the lessons you needed to learn in Monopoly. There's only four of them. Okay, so there's maybe six in the real world. But anything you ship on a train, and I'll be honest with you, take a look around your office right now, take a look around your room. You see a microphone, you see headphones, you see a speaker, you see a desk, you see pens and paper. All of that stuff came to you via a train, a plane, or an automobile. Most of the heavy lifting was probably done by trains. Okay, there's probably boats involved too. But I'm going to give the boats to Elvis because Elvis needs boats. Elvis needs boats. Elvis needs boats, 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 boats. European markets have seen a wind shift. They're mostly higher. Conference board announced consumer confidence this morning for June. And it showed improvement for May. Confidence is a funny thing again. I like to bring that up in large part because um, I feel more confident about my world than I do about your world. That's that's kind of a weird thing to say out loud. Like I feel comfortable that I've saved enough for retirement. I got an emergency fund. I think I'm smarter with money than you. So I feel pretty confident. Confidence is a weird thing too because when you feel confident, you're like, honey, let's go on vacation. Honey, let's buy a big home for the family. And then you're like, really? 
you think we should make another baby? And you're like, yeah, honey, I think we should make another baby. I want to see a lot, another mini me or mini you roaming this earth. Confidence is a, it, it, it plays out in funny ways in the economy. SP 500 and the NASDAQ set new all time highs this morning. I think the story behind all the stories is the bank stocks increase their dividends. I think that's a biggie. Um, there's a, a fictional adult magazine called Biggins. And I, I think it's financials buying back their own shares and increasing their dividends. I think the dividends is big and it's a big story. Just my opinion. Again, you can laugh me off if you want to. From startup rock star to regulators punching bag, Jewel has been on a roller coaster ride. I remember Jewel being a big story in the Bay Area two and a half years ago. Well, today we learned that they have to pay a $40 million fine in North Carolina for settling allegations that its marketing efforts targeted teens. The FDA called teen vaping an epidemic and started to crack down on Jewel and other e-cigarette companies. This seems like a pre-pandemic story, and yet it's still lingering, no? Jewel's actually facing 758 lawsuits across the United States. They were about to go public. They were about to become big, and then governments got involved. Be careful crossing the government, whether you're a big tech company or a smoking vaping company. I'm Rob Black. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Yesterday, Facebook gets the dub. A lot of lawmakers seem to have one thing in common. They hate big tech. For different reasons, but ultimately everyone's reached a consensus. Companies like Facebook, Google, and Apple, they're too big and too powerful. Do you agree, disagree? It's tough to disagree, isn't it? You know, Microsoft takes a shot at Apple saying, hey, our developers, we're not going to take a 30% of their cut. And Apple's like, well, we need to do the 30% cut to stop the blue screen of death and the viruses that your operating system invites in. And government... He's going, uh, you guys need to pay more taxes and we're going to punish you until you do because they can't ring any more out of me. They can't get any more out of you. Big corporations are defined by the IRS as living entities. Uh, they're human beings. So you get the anger when I say that, when you hear Facebook or Amazon didn't pay taxes. The one that's upsetting me right now is Peter Thiel using a Roth IRA, $2,000 contribution, turn it into $5 billion, never paying taxes on it. Um, there's too many loopholes. In what was created for the average man, put away $2,000 post-tax, let it grow tax-deferred, and it comes out tax-free in retirement, is being abused by a billionaire, and he's proud of it. I'm not a big fan of that kind of financial engineering. Kathy Wood's back in the news. Her One of her recent funds posted $600 million in inflows last week. Um, there was a big genetic breakthrough on the CRISPR technology, and she was involved in owning companies that get that play. 
ARC Genomic ETF jumped 3.3% yesterday as Intellia Therapeutics published its gene therapy study. Companies like CRISPR Therapeutics and Editas Medicine climbed. Dogecoin is Elon Musk's favorite digital coin. He's 50 years old. Dogecoin's fee change proposal, uh, cutting down transaction fees, is a big part of when you might be able to get in and create some efficiencies. I would be cautious being the not the fool, because I don't really want to say that. I would be cautious on being the person that pays a lot of fees thinking it's going to work out for you. Like gold coins. This is a classic example. I'm not a big fan of gold coins. When you see a commercial late night, did you know the Kruger and we've got a limited set edition of 45 of them. Donald Trump Kruger ands or President Nixon on the cover of a gold coin. Collectible item of Jimmy Washington. And you're like, isn't it George Washington? No, it's Jimmy Washington, the gold coin collector. And you see these late night commercials and you're like, ooh, I want to get that for my grandkid. It holds value. I remember when I was a kid, holding value was important. But do you know to buy gold coins, it's a 30% markup. And to sell gold coins, it's 30% markup. How the heck do you think you're going to make money in that world? You're not. If you really, really, really want to own gold, just get the ticker symbol GLD. There's no markup. Nike had a great quarter. Oh, boy, did they have a great quarter. Um, a lot of direct-to-consumer. A lot of Michael Jordan. Um, a lot of pandemic where we are no longer buying dress shoes. We're buying sneakers. I saw that a bank in the United States made it official that they're allowing their, their bankers to wear um, basically bedroom gear. Not like not like lingerie and stuff, but like sweats and uh, slippers to work. I saw this story and it made me cringe because you'll know you'll you'll know why I cringe when I hear this when I throw this down. A blood test that finds fifty types of cancer is accurate enough to be rolled out. You're thinking Elizabeth Holmes, right? That's the first thing I, you thought in your head. You're thinking scam. A simple blood test that can detect more than 50 types of cancer before any clinical signs of symptoms of the disease has emerged in a person getting cancer before the signs emerge and this blood test is accurate enough to be rolled out. This, according to the New England, the NHS England study, um, I just always say be careful because when the story sounds like a holy grail, you just got to wait for a little bit more confirmation. Some of the tests are showing that it correctly identified when cancer was present in 51.5% of cases across all stages of the disease and wrongly detected cancer in only one half of 1%. So it seems like we're making some medical breakthroughs. That's the one thing that I, I did hear a panel of experts talk about the other day about the pandemic and about COVID is that we've pulled forward a lot of new disease treatments years and years and years where we used to have to go through the government, which I'm not against going through the government. 
I'd rather know now than to learn that, yo, you know, babies are being born with uh, birth defects. But wait, wait, can't that CRISPR technology change birth defects into no defects? Lots going on. Lots going on. But I do like some of the stories that we're hearing. Um, Here's a story that's kind of mundane. Gas prices are almost at a seven-year high, running about $3.10 a gallon. Thank goodness we're making them push to all electric vehicles. But that's not going to help anyone right now. An estimated 47 million Americans are expected to travel by car this weekend. Worst day to travel is Friday. I know you're saying, wait, wait, what's this weekend? Uh, July 4th. Really? Yeah, really. Weird, right? But gas stations are running low on gasoline because tank tank truck drivers. Uh, There's a shortage of them. I'm not a truck driver, but... You can make really good money being a truck driver. Um, I don't know if that's life is for me. Let's put it this way. I can I can hit a curb <laughs> turning at a stoplight in a, a Toyota Tacoma. I'm not putting myself behind 18 wheels because I would kill someone. I'm positive of that. But more than 47 million Americans expect to travel by car this 4th of July weekend. Gas is at $3.10 nationwide, seven-year high. That's one of those transitory taxes that we talk about. I talk about transitory inflation with Adam Phillips in a new segment at Rob Black's show on YouTube. It's my channel on YouTube. And we talked about it yesterday. I put up the video last night. Transitory inflation is a problem when it doesn't transit when it doesn't change. So right now we're seeing wage inflation. I don't think wage inflation is going to go down. I think not as fast as gas inflation will. Gasoline at $3.10 a gallon? Could I see it going down to two fifty? Sure. I don't see wages going that way. So that's where the inflation debate rages on. You can find me online at Rob Black's show. That's Rob Black's show, YouTube, Rob Black's show, and much, much more on social media, Rob Black's show. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I hope you're all faring well. Try to be nice to each other. I got into this industry 25 years ago and I met a CFP, Chad Burton, probably about 24 years ago. And I saw the writing on the wall that being a top analyst in technology and being an investment advisor and help people with their portfolios was going to go the way of the dodo bird, the financial planning model. Chad and I built a great business together where I got to stay out of the business and I got to just talk to people about creating wealth. Um, I trust him. He's a good CFP. We disagree a lot of how we approach life. I think most of us do in this world now. Families that have been bonded together for generations are easily torn apart. But um, I believe in the financial planning model uh, to the point that through the years I've looked at business models and ideas on like, wouldn't it be great if we had an H&R block of CFPs that like you could walk into your local uh, Redwood City CFP office and say, what do I need? And they'd be like, oh, let's take a look at the checklist. And the checklist would say you need a well or you need a trust if you own a home in California. Maybe the checklist would say you need a million dollars by the time you retire or $4 million based on your current budget. 
I always thought financial planning should be easier. The problem is it gets a little bit trickier because we're all different people and we all have different needs and wants and expectations. A good friend of mine drove down to Phoenix yesterday to grab his mother because the heat's blistering and she's too cheap to run the air conditioning. I personally wouldn't let my mother die. No, 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 no. I wouldn't have done that. Um, but that's how different we all are. My family has a very, very dark sense of humor. We would have joked about it. Of course we would have helped my mother. Um, but financial planning is not turnkey. So I throw that down um, as just a reminder that when I got into the industry, I just wanted to learn how to create wealth. And then I wanted to teach other people how to create wealth. And now I'm starting to look around and going, I don't know if I can teach people how to create wealth anymore without massively uh, taking on speculation risk with things like Bitcoin. It used to be you could, you know, buy a home. And when you couldn't afford to buy a home, I'd say buy a home in a cheap area, uh, an area with college town, like a college town, like a, uh, an Austin, Texas, a Denver, Colorado, um, Memphis, Tennessee. And now these areas have grown so big that they are no longer the mid-sized cities. And I have to rethink and retool. Am I now going to start going for the really, really farm-like cities? The green acres, if you will. I'll retool. I'll rethink. I'll figure this one out. But uh, things change. Priorities change big. Every 10 years, I think you have to revisit things. In a financial planning world, you need to revisit your numbers every five years. Home prices in April saw an annual gain of 14.6%. This is absurd. I own homes, and I, I am benefiting from this. And I can tell you, it's absurd because one of my good friend doesn't own a home. And he sees me racking up more wealth. It's like my money rake. I'm like, hey, neighbor, I got a money rake. Look, I'm going to go rake leaves today, but they're not leaves. They're $100 bills. And it's obnoxious being the haves. I'd much rather be a have than a have not, but it's obnoxious. The S&P Case-Shiller National Home Price Index came out today. The 10-city composite was up 14.4% year over year. Cities like Phoenix, San Diego, and Seattle reported their highest year-over-year gains ever. They're all up 20% from the year before. So if you bought a million-dollar home in Phoenix, it's worth $1.2 million this year. Um, okay, now I get the pandemic has moved a lot of people from apartments to suburbs. I get that there's some fundamentals behind all of this. I get that my home in the Bay Area um, doubled a five-year period. And it hasn't done much in the last five years. And I'm okay with that because it did the performance of 10 years and five years and took the next five years off. I'm not asking for it to double again. I don't want it to double again. Five cities, Charlotte, Cleveland, Dallas, Denver, and Seattle saw their largest annual gains ever. Um, if you've ever been to Dallas and you look north and south and east and west, there ain't a lot going on. It is just one big sprawl of a city um, built ultimately kind of in a desert, which is pretty interesting because cities like Portland built in the lush forests are now turning into desert-like temperatures. I'm not being an alarmist. I'm telling you 116, 114 degrees in Portland is a weird thing to say. Five cities, Charlotte, Big banking city in the south. Cleveland, 
not a lot going on. The only city in the United States, I believe, to have a river catch on fire. But you're not thinking, oh, Cleveland, they've got that um, that Facebook. No, they don't have Facebook. They got Instagram? No, they don't have Instagram. When you think of Cleveland, you don't think of a lot going on. Maybe you think of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Is that right? Or Football Hall of Fame? I think maybe both. Um, but you don't think of a lot else in Cleveland. Maybe LeBron James town. Uh, Dallas, Denver, Seattle. I get Seattle. Seattle's got a lot of the Amazon mojo, the Microsoft mojo. And how about Microsoft turning themselves around like no other? And they're a company that just uh, announced Windows 11. And I list uh, the analysts talk about it. Analysts are like, it's the anti-Apple. You can now develop on Microsoft's platform and put your own accounting software into it like Adobe. And Adobe can keep 100% of their sales. Wasn't Microsoft the mean antitrust company that apparently learned their lesson? Apple better stay cognizant and stay awake because they thought differently 20 years ago and it led to a massive rush for them. Now, Microsoft is clearly thinking differently, in my opinion. Keep in mind, it's only my opinion. Um, let's talk a little bit about something I promised I would talk about, paying down your mortgage first or investing for retirement. The long short answer is you got to do both. Trying to decide between eliminating debt and investing for the future is difficult. Sometimes I will say this, that if you can get into a mortgage and service it, I have no, I have less of a problem with you carrying debt as long as you can service that debt too. Now, I want you to clearly pay off any debt over 8%, but I don't really want you to ever pay off your mortgage if you don't have to. Now, again, maybe when you're 60 and your, your income's going to go from $400,000 to zero, yeah, maybe you want to start thinking about paying off your debt. But I've got a 3.25% uh, mortgage, a 2.875% mortgage. I don't want to pay those off. That's cheap money. I've been able to beat 3.25% every year of my life. Not not like when I was three. Three was a bad year for me. I kind of had a, a mommy issue. You know, I went to a special kindergarten because I couldn't speak. What's that tell you about society? That I probably had autism, Asperger's, or some sort of some sort of uh, uh, problem, but they just sent me to a special kindergarten, which I got one-on-one -on -one action with a, a kindergarten uh, with a college girl. I know you're saying, "What are you talking about? You're going dirty. You're going R-rated." No, no, you can't say that. No, um, they gave me a college student to teach me one-on-one. -on -one. So my whole kindergarten was like uh, kind of cool. So. It's very focused. Okay, so some some thoughts. I know that a lot of people want to pay down their mortgage because you'll save on interest. But every dollar that you save on interest, you lose $4 of earning income on investments. Not earning income, earning investment returns. I would much rather you carry a mortgage and invest if you can do it. But now if you get into a situation where you know, Amazon does an algorithm that gets you fired from your job and you don't have enough, and you don't have an emergency savings to go get another job, then yeah, clearly paying down something would have been a wiser idea.
I've got a 30-year mortgage on a home that I live in, and I kind of expect to be it maybe paid off when I'm 75. I'm not stressed by it. As long as the cost of money is low and as long as I'm using the money wisely and I don't lose a job and I don't lose my ability to earn income, but I've got that six months emergency money that if I did lose my job, I would start to pay down that mortgage. I would start figuring out a, a different approach. So by making extra payments early and reducing on reducing the principal on which you're being charged interest, you could pay considerably less in interest over the life of the loan. But the same principles of compound interest that apply to your investments also apply to your debts. Um, so I get how you will be suckered by a salesperson into paying down your mortgage or mortgage accelerator. You know, a mortgage accelerator you don't need to pay for. You can just do it yourself if you wanted to. I've never understood that. To me, funding your first dollar into retirement is the most important dollar. Your second dollar is the second most. Third is the third most. And on and on and on and on. Starting to save for retirement is such a crazy concept. Like in 40 years from now, I'm not going to be working, so I'm need to have money to live off of. That's a much crazier concept to get started than paying off a house. So for me, I want you to service both debts. I want you to keep both debts low as far as your mortgage. Um, but you got to start investing. Credit card debt isn't mortgage debt. Credit card debt is bad debt to me. You can find me online at Rob Black Show. You can find CFP Chad Burton at chadburton.com. He's got a great downloadable set of downloadables that you can go get at chadburton.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking to all things financial money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Take a look at some headlines out there today. Not a lot going on. We are in the summertime months. Fourth of July is rapidly approaching. I think we could talk a little bit about F9. Vroom, vroom, vrooming. to $70 million pandemic opening record. Over the three days, they made more in one day than a lot of movies being released now make in a whole weekend. So far, the movies that have opened to big numbers this summer are those respecting the theatrical window, A Quiet Place Part 2, and F9. We'll see how that holds when Black Widow changes the game. It opens in theaters on Disney Plus premiere for $29.99 on July 9th. It's expected to open around $80 million and become the movie of the summer. Now, remember this, that any Marvel movie that used to come out pre-pandemic would make north of a billion dollars and at least 300 million domestically. Uh, so we're a long way off from that. I would like to throw down a, a statement that it might be fighting words, but I think theatrical releases are a small business now. I know that we have yet to see the new avatar two, three or four, I think they're going to make five of them total. 
And I go, why? I think we know the good guys are going to win. But so far this summer, the movies that have done well have been the ones respecting that theatrical window of 45 days. When you take a look at In the Heights by, by Warner Brothers, which is also available on HBO Max, um, they lost 1,100 theaters in its third week in large part because no one wanted to see the movie. Yes. But also because you could see it on HBO Max if you wanted to. So F9 will have an advantage of that third weekend not being pulled. The fourth weekend not being pulled. And then it'll start to get pulled. So the staying power, I don't know if you remember this. Let me Google it real quick just to see if I can get it even close to correct. Play along with me. How long was Raiders of the Lost Ark in movie theaters? Uh, Okay, Google's not going to find that one for me. But I remember that summer that it was in the movie theaters. It felt like from Labor Day to Memorial Day or Memorial Day to Labor Day, I'd never know which one is which. As a child, it confused me even more so. It was released in June of 1981, and it felt like it ran all the way through Christmas. It earned $330 million worldwide. Now, the point of this segment is for me to not really relish Raiders of the Lost Ark and say, wow, it was in movie theaters. You could see it like when you're back to school, when you're almost at Thanksgiving. It was like one more theater was still showing it. Those days are over. Long live video games. Video games are a bigger industry than movies and North American sports combined. Thanks to the pandemic. COVID-19 lockdowns expected to help global gaming sales rise 20% this year to nearly $180 billion. And experts don't see growth taking a hit in 2021 after release of the next generation PlayStation and Xbox as they've started to roll out the next generation games that weren't really available upon launch. Both Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5 still hard to find, sold out, unless you're willing to pay two to three times the price on eBay. The video game industry has boomed in recent years. Boom! Gone are the days when... All one had to track were console sales and games sold for their respective consoles. But now there's digital copy games, mobile games, in-app purchases, freemium games, cross-platform games. They're not limited to a specific console. Microsoft has something called Game Pass, which is a subscription model. PlayStation Plus has one where I think they're going to come out with new games on July 1. Console sales will get a boost from new versions, obviously. Uh, let me just throw that down there one more time because I think it's worth repeating. Global video game revenue is expected to hit $180 billion last year. Can you think of 2019 pre-pandemic, okay? We're going pre-pandemic. The whole movie industry was at $100 billion worldwide. The video game industry was almost double that. Now, if you don't own a video game stock, I think you're silly, silly bazilly. Or a video game uh, exchange traded fund, or I don't know. Uh, what we we don't want to go to movies anymore. We want to stay at home. 
We want our movie experience at home. I know you're saying, eh, there's still going to be movies like F9, which are about room, room, room cars. And we want to see them explode on, on the big screen. I'm proud to say I've never seen one whole episode of Friends. I'm proud to say I've never seen more than five minutes of Fast and the Furious. And the five minutes I saw was probably like at 12.05 in the morning going, huh, I wonder what this is all about. I've had a little bit too much to drink. I'm on the couch. Let's see, let's see how this plays out. I didn't pay for any money on the movie theater. I can tell you that. I know you're saying you're missing out on a good, good clean fun, Rob. Maybe. Or maybe I'm the trend. Housing prices are going up. Must they crash? Is a good question. Let's try to talk about this for just a second. Home prices in April saw an annual gain of 14.6% in April, up 13.3% increase in March. So month to month, it's getting nuttier. Among large cities covered by the index, 10 city composite was up 14.4% year over year. Phoenix, San Diego, and Seattle reported the highest year over year gains. All were up 20% year over year. April's performance was truly extraordinary. That's the highest reading in 30 years. Five cities, Charlotte, Cleveland, Dallas, Denver, Seattle, had their largest gains ever. Now, the shift or the strength is tied towards a shift. During the pandemic, we've shifted out of urban apartments to suburban homes. But the home prices, it, it feels like there's a growing divide. Am I right or wrong on this one? The haves and the have-nots. I owned my first home in my mid-20s. Maybe early mid-20s. Maybe mid-20s is the right way of saying it. I can't imagine my kids doing that. I can't imagine a 25-year-old doing that today. Having the money for a down payment. I don't think the Fed's all-inclusive monetary policy helps lower-income people. I think they've made it really, really easy for people like me to buy homes with cheap, low-cost mortgages. Sales activity is gaining dramatically on the higher end of the market, but falling on the low end as buyers are priced out. It's not uncommon for wealthy people or wealthier people to have assets that are like, yeah, I, I can sell two, three million dollars of Apple and go buy a home in cash. And then everyone who's got a 30-year loan on the table, they don't look as attractive to the owner. Owner says, you know what? Let's do no contingencies. And cash with no contingencies, and you got yourself a deal. What? That doesn't sound like it's helping the average person to me. So throwing that down is my housing and movie segment. Now, the question on housing is, must it crash? And the answer is no. Kevin Erdman is a research fellow at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. He just authored a report of home buyers getting into bidding wars in many cities where it sounds like, well, this sounds like a recipe for disaster. But keep in mind, once you become a high-end comp, you've added comps to the story. Inventories of new homes for sale are very, very low, and lending standards are much tighter now than in 2005. And that means we're on firmer ground. A bubble that is just really leaving the middle class and the uh, lower income in the dust. New home inventories were very high before the Great Recession. 
back in 2006, 2007, 2008. Today, they're closer to the level that has been common for decades. The portion of inventory built and ready for move um, is especially low right now because of the supply chain interruptions combined with sudden boost in demand for lumber and other commodities during the pandemic. Um, I don't see the fundamentals cracking the housing market. I don't see rich people selling assets overbidding as cracking it. I see it as adding to higher comps and making the high-end home that's going for $900 a square foot that much different than the low-end home that's going for $400 a square foot. If a buyer in a hot market where home prices are 30% higher than they were a year ago, you're getting a 30% worse deal than you were back then, nothing can be done about that. But I don't think that's the case. Little reason to expect housing demand to collapse. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at Rob Black Show. That's Rob Black Show. YouTube Rob Black Show. I just put up a fresh weekly market commentary at YouTube channel Rob Black Show.